Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is and who is to come the almighty 22nd chapter verse 17 the spirit and the bride say come and let him who hears say come whoever is thirsty let him come and whoever wishes let him take the free gift of the water of life I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Part of the Apostles' Creed is he will come. He will come to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. How many believe that these are the last days? You know, everybody should raise your hand because the Apostle Peter thought it was the last days 2,000 years ago. And he said the only reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he's patient with us. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He's not slow in keeping his promise, but he's patient, and he wants everybody to come to repentance and to the knowledge of the truth. But the day of the Lord will come. That's what Christians have always believe we believe it now and we will believe it in the future one of my favorite preachers E.B. Hill who has now gone to be with the Lord said if you want to go to sleep at night read the book of Revelation and I thought what are you doing E.B.? that's like blasphemy and then he went on he said well 
He said, you'll go right to sleep because the devil doesn't want you to read the book of Revelation because it tells of his end. Revelation, I tell you, it is a fantastic book. It is written by John when he was up in years, when he was banished to the island of Patmos. We were there about 12 years ago when we went to Turkey. God gave him a vision. God gave him a revelation, and he wrote it down specifically for the seven churches of Asia Minor, but applicable for all Christians throughout history. It is a fabulous book. It's a fan, full of fantastic images. Revelation is apocalyptic literature, kind of like Ezekiel, kind of like Daniel, full of pictures to make a point. Revelation gives us images like Christ walking amidst the seven lampstands, or the 24 elders worshiping, or the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the waves of judgment symbolized by the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. And we read about the 144,000 sealed servants of God, those two witnesses, the woman and the dragon, the beast and his number 666, the Antichrist, the great prostitute Babylon, that is the unbelieving culture of the world. The lake of fire. The new Jerusalem. The pearly gates. The streets of gold. The river of life and all kinds of other images. Which has made it difficult for folks to understand the book of Revelation throughout history. In fact, Martin Luther, he was ready to get rid of it. Once he said, I, a book called Revelation ought to be a little bit more revealing. But to understand it, we need to read it. In fact, what Jim was alluding to in verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. Hey, we're going to get blessed today. Blessed is the one who reads these words. So why did God give us revelation concerning the end of all things? Because when you are suffering and when you are uncertain, it helps to know the end of the story, doesn't it? And these were days of suffering and uncertainty for, first of all, the church. She had already endured several major persecutions and, and would endure many, many more. Uh, it was suffering and, and uncertainty for the Apostle John. He had been exiled to the Isle of Patmos because of his preaching of the gospel. We know little about the torment. We know little about the loneliness of his exile. And so Jesus specifically designed this book to help God's people, people like you and me, through times of suffering, through times of uncertainty. Maybe you're in college and you don't know what God wants you to do with once wants you to do with your life, or, or maybe you're young parents and you're wondering what will happen to your kids, or maybe you're about to become a grandparent and you wonder what God has in store for those golden years, or maybe you're in your golden years and wonder about the next life and your transition to it, the book of Revelation is for you. And the book of Revelation is for you because, number one, the Revelation unveils Christ's full identity. Notice in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him concerning the events that will happen. This is not a revelation of John. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in 9 of the 22 chapters, 18 different names are used to describe 
Jesus. Many of them are found nowhere else in the Bible. Listen to some of these names. Son of man, the first and the last, the living one who died, the son of God, the faithful and true witness, creator, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb, the shepherd, the Christ, faithful and true, the word of God, king of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the bright morning star. This is a revelation and an unveiling of Jesus. It's a pulling back of the curtain so that we can see Jesus, the spotless, innocent lamb, born humbly in a manger that we're going to celebrate in about eight weeks. He has become the king of the jungle the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the commander of all the rulers of the world. And another interesting theme, he is worthy. He is worthy to be praised. And that's why we're here. We're here to worship this Jesus who died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And one of the most interesting ways to dissect this fascinating book is by noting all of the references and all of the passages and even chapters that are devoted entirely to worship Yes, this worship involves the seraphim and the cherubim and the angels and the heavenly host, but it also involves us, those of us who claim his name, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's why I'm, I'm so excited about our relationship with the, the African United Methodist Church. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be around the throne of God, worshiping the lamb who was slain. The Holy Spirit directs this heavenly choir, and it is beautiful, and it might change the way we worship here on earth if we ever came to terms with the fact that all we're really doing here is having one big choir rehearsal, you know, worshiping, for worshiping throughout eternity. Worthy is the lamb. Holy is the lamb. I mean, do you, do you hear Revelation 4:11? You are worthy. You're worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. You created everything, and it was for your pleasure that everything exists. That's the reason everything was created. So the book of Revelation is for you because the revelation unveils Christ's full identity. Hebrews 1.1, it says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these, what, last days, he has spoken to us in his son, Jesus. Secondly, the book of Revelation is for you is because the Revelation, it comforts and it convicts the suffering churches. There's a refrain uh, that's mentioned in chapters two and three. It's his specific words to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And the refrain goes like this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Everyone who is victorious will eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. And so John writes in the second and third chapters to seven of the individual churches throughout Asia Minor. Though it's not a stretch nor hard work to see the conditions described there applying to churches throughout history, and even today, I believe the timelessness, really, of God's word is nowhere more appropriate for us to consider than the words of Jesus to these seven churches of Asia Minor. And he begins usually by reminding the church of some 
you know, good stuff that they were doing or they have done. And then he addresses some lack or problem the individual church was facing. So I'm going to summarize uh, to the church at Ephesus, that's Revelation 2, 1 to 7. He, he commends them for, you know, being hard workers, um, for being orthodox in their faith. But he goes on to discuss with them how they have lost their first love and are growing stagnant in their faith. They were believing all the right things. They were doing the work, but they were stagnant. They had lost their first love. And next, he addresses the church in Smyrna, Revelation 2, 8 to 11. And he encourages them to remain faithful and to win the crown of life, almost forcing us to read between the lines and to see their complacency. And then thirdly, this church at Pergamum, chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. He commends them for remaining loyal and, and gets after them for tolerating false teachers in their midst. And then allowing them to preach false doctrine. Jesus flat out said, Satan lives in your city to the church at Pergamum. And then fourthly, he commends uh, Thyatira, Revelation 2, 18 to 29, for doing many good things, but also reminds them that to permit false prophets in their midst will eventually lead people astray. And he said, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Next comes his word for the church at Sardis, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. He notes that they have a reputation for being alive, but they are dead. And he says, wake up! Wake up! Obey and repent. And then 6, to the church in Philadelphia, the Philadelphians, chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. You may have many great opportunities in front of you, but little strength. He says, hold on to what you have. And then lastly, he mentions that church of Laodicea. In chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, and he acknowledges that, you know, they think they're rich. They think they really don't need anything, but they are poor. And they are lukewarm in their faith. And then he records these famous words, but since you are lukewarm, like lukewarm water, I will spit you out of my mouth. And he ends this discussion with, the churches with some of the most famous words in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3.20, behold, or here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and share a meal as friends. Now, let me ask you this. If God were writing a letter to Calvary, what would he commend us for? What would he challenge us about? How would the Holy Spirit convict us? Revelation is for us because the revelation reveals Christ's full identity. The revelation comforts and convicts the suffering churches. And then number three, I believe the revelation reveals God's plan for the end of the world. It's right there. In chapter four, verse one, then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me with the sound of a mighty trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after these things. And instantly, John said, I was in the spirit. I mean, chapters 1 to 3 are pretty easy to understand. And if you look back to chapters 19 to 22, 
they are pretty easy to understand as well. It's these middle ones, I think, that get, get us confused, like the vials and the seals and the trumpets and the bowls and the timelines and the horse and the riders and the angels and the messengers and the witnesses and the beasts and the antichrist. It's all a little bit overwhelming. And I'm afraid uh, my words probably won't help us much today. You see, John is swept up in the spirit. He's swept up in the spirit to heaven. And he's given a vision. He's given a dream. He's given kind of a glimpse, if you will, of what heaven will look like. The trouble is, what he sees is I think sometimes beyond the limits of our language that we have to describe those things. Imagine trying to explain how the internet works to somebody who just arrived in America from a life spent in the mountains of India. You can't speak their language and they can't understand ours and that's what John faced. He was seeing things that no one had ever seen before. These chapters contain the basic conflict being played out to its bitter end you know, between the forces of good, the forces of God, and the forces of evil, the forces of Satan. And there are some flashbacks to the predictions in the Old Testament from Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel that only seem to sometimes complicate the matter if you really study these things. There are numerous predictions about events that will take place in our future, and there are recordings of things that John most certainly felt were happening even as he wrote. And you gotta know, you gotta know that prophetic writings always have a past and a present and a future application. The church has been confused about the book of Revelation over the centuries, but two basic things have to be remembered even in some of our confusion. God wins, and so do we. God wins, and so do we. I love that old gospel song. I've read the back of the book and we win. And it's true. Bowls might look like trumpets turned upside down and the vials and the seals may mean different things. The numbers and events sound strange, but these two things I know. The revelation is more about Jesus Christ than it is about the Antichrist. And those who overcome will receive eternal life. And I can get a handle on that. And how do, you, how, how do we overcome? I'm so glad you asked. Revelation 12, 11 has the answer. It says, they overcame the accuser. They overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and because they loved not their lives, even unto death. It's always frustrated me sometimes to observe so many people spending countless time and hours trying to figure out all this stuff which they have no control over. You know, in the 70s, it was the late great planet Earth, Hal Lindsey. God used that, by the way, to emphasize the second coming of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we can get so absorbed in trying to figure out the dates and the times and when and how while neglecting all the stuff over which we should be concerned about. There's nothing wrong with studying prophecy. I do it all the time. But don't neglect the rest of your spiritual lives. Don't neglect what God is calling us to do in this world. 
Chapters 1 to 18 make it very clear that there's going to be a great battle, an ultimate battle to end all battles between the powers of evil and the powers of God. And each will assemble their armies and finally God will win. God will win. Satan will be banished first for a thousand years and then forever. And those who have received Jesus as Savior will spend eternity in heaven with God and Jesus. And those who have rejected Jesus will spend eternity in hell. And then John records in chapters 19 to 22 that Jesus is going to come again. You know, we got the signs out there. It's coming. You know, Jesus is coming. Huh. Jesus is coming. And it's coming too, November 18th. And he's coming as the king of kings. And the Lord of lords, multitudes will be shouting, hallelujah, hallelujah. And he shall reign forever and ever. And he shall reign forever and ever. And we're going to reign with him. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The glory of Eden will pale in comparison to the wonder and the awe of this new place. Paradise lost, paradise restored. There's going to be no pain, no crying, no death there. There will be no need for light there because God's presence and Jesus' love will light the place up. There will be a banquet feast. There will be an, end, an unending supply of living water. There's going to be joy there. There's going to be peace and everything the babe in the manger set out to do will be done. Forever, we will be with God. I say, count me in. Many years ago, a man conned his way into the orchestra of the emperor of China, uh, though he could not play a note. And whenever the group practiced or performed, he would hold his flute against his lips and pretend to play, but not making a sound. He received a modest salary and enjoyed a comfortable living, and then one day the emperor requested a solo from each musician, and the flautist got nervous. There wasn't enough time to learn the instrument. He pretended to be sick, but the royal physician wasn't fooled, and on the day of his solo performance, the imposter took poison, and he killed himself. The explanation of his suicide led to the phrase that found its way into our English language. He refused to face the music. Today, you can pretend to be a part of God's orchestra by just kind of blending in with the crowd, going through the motions, singing the songs. No one notices here, but you, because you say the, the right things and you, you use all the right words and you go to the right places and you try to avoid the wrong ones and you hang out with the right people, but God has set a day and the day of the Lord is coming. When Jesus will come again to judge the quick and the dead. Uh, that day is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. We know the end of the story, story. According to the revelation of Jesus Christ, there will come a day when you must face the music. I must face the music. One day you will be separated from everything. And on that day you will stand alone before God. And you will give an account for your life. Your decisions, whether... Or not, you are tapped into this living water. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be grinding at the mill. Two will be working in the field. Two will be in the same bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. 
Eternity doesn't start when you die or when the world ends. It begins the instant you are born again. This is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I may not understand it all. I may not be able to figure out when or how it's all going to happen. I might not be able to explain it to you very well at all. But I love Jesus. And I'm going to spend my eternity with him. And you could too. Revelation doesn't have to be the end of the story. It could be the very beginning. You know, that invitation that we quoted earlier, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. In Revelation 22.17, the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. The invitation still holds true. The age of grace continues. The patience of the Lord means salvation. Are you troubled? Are you uncertain about life and the future? Your future? Then take a peek at the end of the story. You'll find Jesus waiting to welcome you home if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And how do you make certain you are a part of the happy end of this story? Three words, you know, you got to come to him in, in repentance. Say, sorry, Lord, I, I know you haven't been first in my life, and I've broken your law. But I just want to thank you for being who you claim to be. You are, really, the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You became flesh, you dwelt among us, and you lived a life that I can't live, and you died the death I cannot die, and so please come into my life through the power of your Holy Spirit, and I guarantee you will become a new creature in Christ. Jesus will make you alive. Even though we were dead in trespasses and sins, we can be made alive through Christ Jesus, our Lord, and that is the end of the story, and I'm sticking to it. Let's pray. Jesus, when you came, you were the Lamb of God, and you're going to come again as the Lion of Judah. When you came the first time, you were the suffering servant, and when you come again, you are going to reveal yourself as the sovereign king. And Jesus, when you came the first time, you stood before Pilate, and we know when you come again, Pilate will stand before you, and so will everybody else. And Jesus, as we have looked into the book of Revelation. Lord, would you continue to give us a fresh revelation of you? Would you comfort the afflicted today and afflict the comfortable? Would you show us again that you win in the end and so do all who claim your name, Jesus? God, give us grace to trust completely in the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness that we so desperately need, for the boldness to speak the word of our testimony and the commitment to give our lives totally to you, even unto death. We ask that you give us a peaceful attitude in our politics, God. Give us wisdom and resolve to vote in the coming week. 
Let righteousness exalt this nation, God. We pray for our outreach this Wednesday to connect with friends and neighbors and to plant some seeds about Jesus and the gospel. You are a friend of sinners. Help us to be like you, Jesus. We pray for our upcoming Consecration Sunday. Let this stewardship emphasis be more than money, but about our hearts getting right with you as we wrestle with you, God about our giving and allow the Holy Spirit through the scriptures to move and motivate us in our giving and not just the pastor or our budget or our debt. We lift up those who have lost possessions in in the recent hurricane, God. Those that are still without homes. We pray for those who have lost loved ones in the recent shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue and Pennsylvania. God, we need a savior more than ever. We need a healer more than ever. We need the prince of peace more than ever. We need a deliverer more than ever. We need a provider more than ever, a sustainer more than ever. And in our struggles and in our sin and in our suffering, God, may we find Jesus, the Messiah. And we just rejoice that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And now, Lord, as we gather the tithe and our offering, Lord, I pray that you would be honored as King Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.